Well, good morning. I think most of you by now would not be surprised if I were to say to you, I like fishing. All right? I like fishing. I haven't always liked fishing. When I was growing up, you know, there's a couple others that are saying amen. That's right. First amen I've gotten for a while. You know, that's good. Um, it wasn't always that way. When I was growing up, you know, I would watch Saturday morning fishing shows, watch all these shows on Saturday morning. And, you know, one morning I just decided instead of sitting here on my couch and watching a show, I'm actually going to go fish. And I did. Way back in 1980, that's a good looking young guy, isn't it? I tell you what. You know, it was, it was just 1980, and so the hair was still kind of crazy back then, just in case you younger people are wondering. But um, me and a friend of mine got on our bikes, and we rode a couple of miles down to the mouth of the St. Clair River in Sarnia, and I threw my line out. And I was waiting, and I was waiting, and we weren't really catching very much, and then all of a sudden, the rod tip went down. And there was a big fish on there. And all the other fishermen were laughing at me. They're saying, oh, it's a big carp or you got a snag. But over the next half an hour, I had the thrill of pulling in this lake sturgeon. And I remember how excited I was to get that fish into shore. We didn't have a net with us. We were, didn't know what we were doing. We kind of just kind of jumped in the water and pulled it out ourselves and, and, and threw this big fish on the handlebars of my bike and tried to make our way home with it. And You know, it was crazy. But I remember that day. Part of the reason that I love fishing today is because of that fish. It's interesting that when Jesus was looking for an analogy to evangelism, when Jesus was looking for an analogy of what God is calling us to do in sharing our faith with other people, he used fishing as that analogy. I want to read a chapter that some verses that Pastor Ike touched upon last week and kind of build upon them for us this morning. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 to 22. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 to 22. This is what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. And they were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus says to Peter, James, John, Andrew, he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a fisher of men? I want to build upon this analogy because I believe, I strongly believe that if you understand fishing, you truly understand evangelism and what it is that God is calling each one of us to do. So what is it about fishing? Well, number one, I want to say this. If you're going to go fishing, the first thing you have to have is a desire to fish. You have to have a desire to fish. Odds are, if you don't want to go fishing, you probably won't, right? 
There's a lot of people in this room have absolutely no desire to ever go fishing in their entire life. And you know what? The odds are that you probably won't. It's not like, you know, one morning you're going to wake up and think, Wow! Today's the day! I'm going to go fishing! No, that's probably not going to happen. If there's no heart for it, if there's no desire for it, it's probably not going to happen. Because, you know, sometimes fishing can be difficult. There have been mornings when I have woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I have driven for 7 hours up north just in order to go fishing. Nobody gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning and drives for 7 hours and, and, you know, unless they want to or are being paid to do it or something like that. Nobody does it just because. You do it because you want to. You do it because you are highly motivated to do it. So what motivates us? How do you gain a heart for fishing? I have heard the testimony of a number of guys I see even here as I have talked with you in the area of fishing. You have said, you know what? I used to hate fishing, but there was this one time that a friend, a buddy of mine, you know, said, you know, come with me. And we went out on a boat and I started catching fish and I realized how fun it was. And from that time on, I was hooked, right? <laughs> you hooked the fish, but the fish hooked you. You were hooked from the moment you started catching fish. When you started experiencing the thrill of catching fish. May I say to you this, that for most of us, we will not have a heart for evangelism until we start doing evangelism. Until you start understanding that by simply opening your mouth and being faithful to the call that God has given you, that you can change the eternal destiny of a man or a woman that Jesus Christ died for. There is nothing on earth, nothing on earth, that compares to the thrill of leading someone to Jesus Christ. There's just nothing like it. When Jesus came to his disciples that day, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had met these men. It's not like Jesus shows up out of the blue. He's never met Peter, James, John, Andrew. He's never met them before. He just says, come follow me, I'll make you fish as a man. And I say, oh, okay, we don't know who this guy is, but let's go, sure. No, it wasn't like that at all. They had already been following Jesus for some time. We read about this in the book of John, that they had been down at the Sea of Gal or at the, uh, the Jordan River, and you know, John the Baptist was baptizing people, and Jesus shows up, and there's this interchange between John the Baptist and Jesus, and these disciples say, I wonder who this guy is. And John the Baptist says, don't follow me, follow him. And they go and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And so these guys start following Jesus. So they've been building up a relationship with him for some time. But even though they were quote quote friends of Jesus they weren't followers yet they were still fishermen it was at this moment that Jesus says you know what you can be my friend we can hang out together and that's fine but do you want something more why not take this to the next level why not move from simply being a friend of mine to being a follower of mine and likewise in our lives, we can go through, we can live our Christian lives and we can just go to church, be friends with Jesus, talk about Him at parties, you know, try to, you know, sing songs about Him and pray to Him and do all that kind of stuff. 
But Jesus wants more from us. Maybe you've heard me tell this before, but I once heard about this guy who was talking to this group of businessmen about time management. He pulled out this big jar and set it down on the desk. And he pulled out these big rocks and he put all these big rocks into the jar until the jar was full of big rocks. And then he said to the people, is the jar full? And everyone said, yes, the jar is full. And he said, no, it's not. And he pulled out this gravel, these small stones, and he poured those small stones into the jar and they worked their way down among the big rocks until the jar was full of this gravel. And he said, is the jar full? And now they were starting to catch on. They said, no. And so he took the sand and he poured in the sand. And the sand worked its way past the big rocks, past the gravel, down until it filled the entire jar. And then he asked the crowd again, is the jar full? And the crowd said, no. And he picked up some water and he poured in that water. And the water worked its way amongst the sand, amongst the small stones, amongst the big rocks. Until finally the jar was full. And then he said, what's the purpose of this story? What is it that I'm trying to teach you? And one guy put up his hand and said, You can always add more to your schedule. <laughs> and he said, No, that's not it at all. He said this. If you don't start with the big rocks, you'll never get them into the jar. And in each one of our lives, there are big rocks. There are non-negotiables. They are essentials. And if those big rocks don't go into the jar first, if they don't go into our schedule first, if they don't fit into our lives first, then they're not going to fit. And can I say to you, a relationship with Jesus Christ, being a follower of Jesus Christ, is not a pebble, and it's not a sand, and it's not a water. It's a big rock. It has to come first. It has to be a priority. We have to set that as a priority in our lives. The desire to fish starts by catching fish. It desires by, it starts with the, the, the thrill of the catch. You know, when I was uh, in seminary, I was a youth ministry intern at a Baptist church in Toronto. And uh, the youth pastor at that church, a guy by the name of Laird Crump, had said that we were going to be having this evangelistic meeting coming up. We were all going to get in a bus. We were going to go to this uh, meeting where the speaker was going to speak an evangelistic message. And you know what? Taking a bunch of Christian kids to an evangelistic meeting doesn't make much sense. And so Laird had challenged the group. He said, you know, this event is a couple months away. In the coming months, I want you to identify three non-Christian friends that you want to invite to go with you to this meeting. Just three friends, non-Christian friends, who you're going to invite to go with you to this meeting. And everyone kind of picked three friends and they wrote their names on a piece of paper and then for the next couple months we took time every week to pray for those people. And, and as the day was coming closer, there was this one girl. I remember she came up to me once and she said, you know, I have my three friends and I'm trying to pray for these people but I know they're not going to go. I mean, they've already said they want nothing to do with God. They don't want to go to church. They hate church. There's no way if I ask them to go with me to see a speaker, you know, with a church group, that these girls are going to agree to go. It's just not going to happen. And I say, well, just keep praying about it, and let's see what God does. And the day the event came, and sure enough, all friends decide that they will go. And they all go to this meeting. And I remember going up on this bus and we're all praying, Oh Lord, you know, I hope something happens. I, I hope this isn't just a disaster. They get to the meeting, they go in. Myself and one of the other interns decide to stay in the bus 
and just kind of pray while the meeting is on. And so we have no idea what's going on in there. We're just sitting in the bus and we're praying and praying. And it gets time when the meeting's over and we see some people starting to come out. And sure enough, suddenly, this girl comes running out of the building. And she comes running towards the bus. And the doors of the bus open and she comes running into the bus. And we're kind of sitting there and we're going, where's your friends? And she's saying, they're at the front. They're at the front. All three of them went forward to receive Christ. I can't believe this. And she just screamed at the top of her lungs, almost broke our eardrums. And she starts running around the bus, screaming at the top of her lungs. And so myself and my friend, we kind of look at each other and we say, eh, that sounds good. And we get off the bus and we start following her, screaming, running around the bus. And all the others start coming out. And soon there's 50 of us running around the bus, screaming at the top of our lungs. And I tell you, revival broke out in that youth group because of that one girl and her three friends who came to Christ. And that group was different the week afterwards. Why? Because we had seen firsthand what God can do if we will simply be faithful to what He has called us to do. It all starts with a desire to fish, number one. But number two, desire to fish is good, but if you're going to fish, you have to use the right bait. Good fishermen know that there's different kinds of fish, and every kind of fish requires a different kind of bait and a different method of fishing them. You can fish for bass, you can fish for trout, you can fish for catfish. All of these are different kinds of fish. They eat different things, and so you have to fish for them differently. Pull up this next slide. You know, my wife always laughs at me, or it's not really much of a laugh. It's more like a, oh. Every time I go and I buy myself another fishing lure. I mean, I got tackle boxes full with fishing lures. And she says, another one? That's exactly like the last one. I say, no, it's not. It goes deeper. It's a different color. It's a di you know, I try to explain this to her, but she just doesn't understand. It's just a lure. You only need one lure, right? That's all you need to catch a fish, one lure. Well, no, you don't. Look at this. You have all these different kinds, and all of these lures are designed to catch different kinds of fish. Some stay at the surface, some go way down deep. Some you kind of pull and you pop, others you kind of, kind of twist. They're all different. Why? Next slide. Because there's different kinds of fish. If there was only trout in the world, then you would only need a trout lure. But the reality is, is there's more than that in the water. You have to know what kind of a fish you're fishing for to understand what to throw to it. Because fishing for bass is very different than fishing for trout. Likewise, if we are going to seriously be effective in reaching out to the community around us for Jesus Christ, we have to first understand the community that surround us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.19, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having a law because 
I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I may save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Paul says there, you know what? I may not be like this kind of Gentile, but I have to, in my mind, start to be able to think like them in order to be able to witness to them. I have to be able to communicate the gospel in a manner that they will understand. To use the fishing analogy, I have to give the fish what the fish is hungry for. Because if you give the fish something that it's not hungry for, it's going to reject the bait. And if we are going to reach out to this community and be effective light and salt in this community, we have to understand the community. We have to know what people are thinking. I like this video that we showed beforehand. I, I found this on the internet. You know, this girl was saying, you know what? I'm not hungry for rules. I'm not hungry for regulations. I don't want criticism. I don't want condemnation. What I'm hungry for is love and belonging and acceptance. The world out there doesn't need more religion. It's had it up to here with religion. A lot of the folks that are around us are folks that at some point have tasted the church and they've rejected it because it was sour. Because it was empty. Because it was hollow. People aren't looking for more rules and regulations. They're looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a, a bunch of, of, of another list of things to do. They're looking for an experience with the living Savior. That's what people are hungry for. You know, the largest church in Canada is a church called the Meeting House. In the last 10 years, that church has grown from a church of a couple of hundred to more than 7,000. I know a little bit about that church because its senior pastor was my roommate in seminary, Tim Day. What are they doing differently? Why are they growing and other churches are in decline and other churches are closing? What's their secret? You know what their secret is? It's extremely simple. Is it that they don't do church, they don't have offering, they don't have missionaries, they don't have small groups or, or all the stuff that... No, no, they have all that. Their motto is simply summed up like this. The meeting house is a church for people who aren't in the church. It's a church for people who aren't in the church. In other words, it's a place where you can meet Jesus. But you don't necessarily have to have all the rules and regulations that turned you off from Jesus when you were growing up. And it's the largest church in Canada. Doesn't that say something to us of what this world is hungry for? If you're going to fish, you have to think like a fish. The most effective thing we are doing as a church in terms of evangelism is our German service. Why? Because we have a lot of people here that came from quite conservative, old colony Mennonite background. 
You think like that. You know how people think. And because you know how people think, you are able to present Christ in a way to those people that is effective. And as a result, many people come here and they find that Jesus is more than just rules and regulations and tradition. They find that there's a living experience with the Savior to be had. And they receive Christ. And that's wonderful. Last, you know, a couple weeks ago when we had the, the, the membership, you could see all the people up here. And, and mostly that was all through the German service. We're doing that very, very well. And that's a great start. But what about reaching the rest of Leamington? What about reaching non-Mennonites? I know what you're thinking, because people have told me this before. Let the other churches in Leamington reach out to the non-Mennonites. We'll reach the Mennonites. You know? We don't care about salmon. We don't care about catfish. We just want to catch Mennonite fish. <laughs> that's all we're going to fish for. One lure, that's all we got. Can I suggest to you, can I suggest to you, that's not good enough. And can I be even stronger than that? Because you can't fire me. I'm going anyways. <laughs> can I say that not only is that not good enough, it's unbiblical and it's unfaithful. It's unfaithful to the message and it's unfaithful to the mission that God has placed before us. We can't simply say, Jesus, I don't want to reach beyond my comfort zone. Jesus, I'll reach out, but as long as I'm comfortable, no problem. You know, it takes more. I grew up in a church... Every week the pastor would stand up and he would say, There's, we're going to have a time of fellowship after the service in the narthex. I was 14 years old before I even understood what the narthex was. And I had been born in that church. What about the visitor sitting there in the pew? Oh, by the way, the narthex is that kind of funny thing at the back of the church. That's the narthex. It's a Baptist thing. Yeah. People don't understand that kind of terminology. I think about our sign out front. The Leamington EMMC. <laughs> that's a long name, you know that? Writing out on forms and things like that, trying to tell people over the phone, that's a long name of a church. But think about it. Someone's driving down the road and they see the Leamington Evangelical Mennonite Mission Church and they think to themselves, Leamington, that's okay. Leamington is a place. That's all right. Leamington Evangelical. Ooh, Evangelical. That kind of sounds like, you know, left-wing, you know, I don't know, or right-wing or whatever that is, you know, kind of conservative evangelical movement in the state. I don't, I'm not sure I'm into all that. And, and Mennonite, well, I'm not a Mennonite, so of course I'm not welcome. Mission, oh, that's another kind of ugly word in, in non-Christian circles. I mean, the, the, the sign basically says, go away. You know, we could just kind of shorten the sign to say, go away and put that on the outside of the church and people are driving by oh go away okay I guess I'm not welcome um, God is calling us to be light and salt 
And he's calling us to be light and salt where he's planted us. And he's called us to be light and salt to everyone that we come into contact with. To this community that he's planted us in. And to the world as a whole in which we live. And we are being unfaithful to his message. If we limit our outreach to only a small part. It starts with a desire to fish. You have to use the right bait. And lastly, in closing, if you're going to be a good fisherman, you have to know where to fish. You have to know where to fish. Remember that time when the disciples had been out all night fishing, they hadn't caught anything? And Jesus comes along, John 21, verse 6. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. These disciples thought, these guys thought they knew fishing. They thought the fish were there and they thought the fish were there. And they had spent all night going from place to place to place to place trying to find the fish. And they hadn't caught anything. And here they come along and Jesus says, oh, just throw it on that side. They were in shallow water. Fish are never in shallow water in the heat of the day. It just didn't happen. They said, Jesus, you're crazy. That's not where the fish are. Jesus said, throw in the net. And they throw in the net and there's so many fish, they can't even get the net out of the water. If we are going to be effective in evangelism, we have to fish where Jesus tells us to fish. We have to go where Jesus is telling us to go. Can I tell you something? It is easy to go down to the dock and to pull up a comfy chair and a cold drink and sit there and put your line straight down. And can I tell you something? For a lot of fishermen, that's all they ever experience. You go to the dock, you pull up a chair, you put your line straight down. And what that means is that if the fish isn't there, you're not going to catch it. And you walk away thinking, oh, there's no fish here. But you're looking out at this vast expanse of water, an entire lake that is in front of you. Rick Warren once said this, Unfortunately, many churches don't take the time to understand the people they want to reach. They don't have a strategy. They want to win people to Christ as long as it can be done in a comfortable way. As long as the fish come to me, as long as all I have to do is sit here and put my line straight down, the fish come to me, as long as I can do that, I will catch fish. Well, guess what? That's not real fishing. Because, can I tell you, if you really want to be an effective fisherman, you have to not wait for the fish to come to you. You have to go to them. You have to find where they are. Can I tell you, getting to fish is complicated. It's complicated. There are three things implied in that. Number one, if you're going to go to where the fish are, it is expensive. Going to where the fish are requires transportation. It means that you have to get a boat. And if you're going to get a boat, you have to get a license. And yeah, if you're going to get a license, you have to put gas in the boat. And you have to do all this. And, and the, the cost, you have to pay the, the, the dock fee. And, and the cost starts adding up. It's expensive to go where the fish are. But likewise, evangelism is expensive. If we're going to be a church that truly reaches out to the neighborhood, there has to be an expense. 
There has to, it has to cost us something. When you look at the budget and you see how much money is spent inside, you have to wonder what God thinks on how much is being spent outside. How much are we investing in evangelism? Not just evangelism that already reaches Christians. How much are we truly investing on people that have never heard, on bringing new people into the kingdom of God? It's expensive, number one. Number two, it's dangerous. Going to where the fish is is dangerous. Usually that means you take a boat into a very rocky place or a place with a lot of weeds kind of a scary place. Can I tell you evangelism is dangerous. It can take us into some pretty uncomfortable places, some pretty scary places. I remember I spent one summer in the street on the streets of downtown Toronto reaching out to street kids, working at a food bank, having people come in that have were addicts and they have have needle marks up and down their arms. People on drugs going and, and to lunch and, and be, being surrounded by prostitutes in a local little caf, you know, cafeteria. Being out on the street and seeing all kinds of nasty, awful stuff that's a result of sin. Can I tell you, we, we, we can't just stay in our comfort zones. We have to get out of our comfort zones and we have to get a little dangerous. We have to be out in the world. Reaching people is dangerous. It's dangerous because we have to deal with all the stuff that comes from broken lives. And lastly, it's expensive and it's dangerous and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Last year, I went out with Jake in, in the boat and, and he brought along a cousin of his. And I could tell just on the way out that this was going to be a short trip because this guy was already getting queasy, you know, and we hadn't even left the dock. And we get out in the, in the water, the waves were up, and you know, the wind was blowing, and this guy was like, oh, I don't feel so good, oh, you know, and he wasn't fishing, he was just kind of sitting in the boat, turning green, and, and Jake and I start catching fish, we are pulling them in right, left, you know, and, 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 and this, this guy is not looking, and finally he just starts throwing up over the side of the boat, blah, blah, and we're just, oh, go ahead and chum the water, we're catching fish, we're staying, you know, there's no way we're leaving this, you can die, you know, we'll have a nice funeral for you, but we're catching fish, so we're staying, and so finally this guy is like begging us, pleading with us, please just take me to shore, I'll do anything, you know, I just want to get off this boat, and so finally we, we take him in, you know, and, and we go home, and that was uncomfortable for that poor guy, but can I tell you, sometimes fishing is uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it means that we have to place ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Places that are, we don't necessarily want to be, but we choose to be for the sake of the call. Naomi and I were remembering a, a, a little while ago of, of the first day we arrived in Kuwait. I mean, we get off this plane, we've been flying all night, so, so neither of us have slept. And Petra is screaming her lungs out. She was three months old at the time. 
And we're in this long, long line in this incredibly hot airport. And the smell of all these peop- sweating people and just and everything was different around us. All we saw was, was you know, people in dishdashes running around and everything was foreign. We couldn't read the signs. And we're standing there. And, you know, here we are. We, we, we've given ourselves to God. We, we've said we're going to go to this new country and we're going to live there and seek to reach the people. And here we are, our first hour. And it's just like we've fallen off the edge of the world. And we're looking at each other going, let's just get back on the plane and go home. This is crazy. What are we doing here? This is nuts. There was a lot of uncomfort in those first years eating stuff that we didn't know and, 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 and trying to, to live and, and trying to survive in a foreign culture where everything was against you because you were a believer. It was uncomfortable. But there are times when God calls us to be uncomfortable. Can I say to you, if you've never been uncomfortable, if you've never placed yourself in a position where you are uncomfortable in order to reach out and share your faith, then you are not being obedient to what God has called you to. You don't have to be an expert. To be a fisherman, you don't have to have the latest equipment. You don't have to have the most expensive. You know, I take Hillary fishing. She has this little cheap little fishing rod. She sticks a worm on the end of it, sticks it in the water. I have my new, brand new fishing rod with the, the latest line on it, with the best lure I can find. And, and she always catches more fish than I do. I don't know what it is, you know. You don't have to be a pro. You just have to be faithful. There's one thing that's for sure. If you don't have a hook in the water, you won't catch a fish. If you don't try, then we already know what the result will be. You may be here today and you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, I tried sharing my faith with that guy at work. It didn't work. I, I, I've, I've tried to share my faith before with this person and it came up short. You know what, it's not your job to make it grow, it's your job to go and sow. If you go and sow, God will make it grow. But your job is simply to go and tell. Maybe I've told this story before too. I, I had a friend of mine who went to speak at a Youth for Christ conference. And he got up there and he gave this evangelistic message. And, 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 and he felt it was a really good message. And afterwards some people came to Christ. They came up to the front of the stage and, and he was talking with them. He said, what was it about my message? I mean, was it my illustration about this that made you come to Christ? Or, or, or what was it that, that I said that convicted you to come forward? And this one guy said, oh, it wasn't anything you said. As a matter of fact, I don't remember anything you said. And the guy's like, well, why are you here? And he said, well, you're standing up there and there was this big banner, Youth for Christ, behind you. And you were standing in front of the T and the H. And all I saw was you for Christ. And I thought, me for Christ, why not? And that's why I came forward. I mean, if all your job is to cover two letters, God can use it. If you will open your mouth, if you will take the first step, if you will take the, that, that first uncomfortable step to starting a conversation, to sharing your faith, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that God will use it. It starts with a desire. 
It's knowing what to fish with. It's knowing where to fish. God wants us to share our faith. There are so many people, like this video said, so many people that are dying to know, wanting to know. They're waiting for us to open our mouths and speak His truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to share what we have been given. Not for brownie points. Not to, 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 for any other reason other than the fact that we have found something wonderful in you. That we have found something precious. That we have found a personal relationship with the living God. And that relationship has brought us purpose. And it's brought us hope. And it's brought us joy in our lives. And Father God, when we, when we, when we find something of, of tremendous worth and value, we want to share that. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to take what we have been entrusted with. To take what we have found. This pearl of great price. Help us to share it, Lord, with others. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.